Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Jesus Inside Out. A few weeks ago, I was reading an article, and it caught my attention. It said, it said, your mom lied to you. I'm looking across at moms. I'm trying to see. Most of them are not smiling. Most of them have that frown on their face like, what? Yeah, your mom lied to you, right? And so I just, it piqued my attention. I'm like, I want to, I want to see what this article says. And so kind of re- read through it. Basically, it was just talking about little, little things that, that, that have been passed on from generation to generation. Little lies, little things that are not really exactly true and that, you know, you tell your kids, your kids pick up on it, then they tell their kids, and, they, and their kids pick up on it, and then they tell their kids, and just kind of gets passed on, passed on, kind of gave us a list of them, you know. I started reading through the list, and there's a few that I identified with. One of them was like, you know, when I was a kid, I remember riding my bike and falling off my bicycle, and maybe scraping a, an elbow or a shoulder or a knee or something, you know, running home, and actually after a while, I started, I don't want to go home anymore to my mom, because this is what she's going to recommend when I, when I come home. I show up with a, a scraped elbow or scraped knee, and she's like, what do we need to do? We need to put some hydrogen peroxide on that, all right? Put some peroxide on that. That's what she would say. And then, of course, I would say, no, this hurts. I don't want this, you know, and I would re- I'd resist it. But then, you know, we'd put the peroxide on there, and, you know, and it was painful. Well, according to research, it actually doesn't really help the healing process, they say, you know. It's like those tingling bubbles are just, they're antiseptic, but that's about it. The healing process gets slowed down because of peroxide, so thank you, Mom. One day you're going to be in a nursing home and, you know, you might say something. I might, no, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. Another, another lie that we heard, my grandmother and my grandmother, when she was, yeah, there's a lot of things my grandmother would say that I cannot tell you what she would say to me. So anyways, well, my grandmother was awesome. But one of the things my grandma, when she'd hear, hear us cracking our knuckles, she'd say, don't crack your knuckles. What, what's going to happen if you crack your knuckles? It's going to lead to arthritis. Now, you have to understand, my grandmother, uh, you know, she, she suffered with rheumatoid arthritis, so her hands were like this. And so she'd always do that. Don't crack your knuckles. If you do that, they're going to look like this. And then she was, we were terrified. Oh, no, let's not crack our knuckles because I don't want my hands to look like this. Turns out that the latest knuckle-cracking research says that that's not exactly true. So, and there's a lot of these, you know. The list goes on. There's several that we, that we believe. Like one of them is that if you swallow your gum, what will happen? It'll take seven years for it to digest. I was like, I'm like, dude, I've got this mountain of gum in my stomach. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking around. I, I weigh extra on the scale because there's all this gum that refuses to digest. And like, I believe that stuff, you know, and turns out that that's not exactly true. And so my point is that there are certain things I think we've, we've accepted, things that we've heard, whether it was your mother that told you or your a church or some things that we've heard and we've accepted them and we kind of live our life by those things and oftentimes don't even question it, don't even find out the truth behind it. And these are small things that we're talking about, but what if some of the things that we've accepted are much bigger in significance? What if some of the things that we have believed have much more dire consequences or implications in our life? 
when you study the ministry of Jesus, one of the things that you see is that Jesus spent quite a bit of his teaching time debunking the myths that existed in his, in his society, right? People had, had grasped on to things that they believed about God, about faith, about themselves. And so Jesus comes along and says, hey, that's, that's not exactly true. In fact, this is how you would say it. You have, the, in, in the sermon, you have heard it said, he would say, You've heard it said this way, but let me tell you this, this truth, okay? So he basically is debunking something that people have, have believed for many, many centuries for that matter. And he's basically reestablishing a truth. He's giving us some new lens to see something. So Jesus comes on a scene and he confronts a lot of false beliefs about faith, about God, about religion, about yourself. He just, he just challenges them. One of the challenges that, that he consistently challenged was the external view of faith that the religion of that day had. That a lot, of, a lot of what they believed was your spirituality was something that was visible. It was something that you would show how you dress. There's a lot of rituals and rules, you know, uh, what you ate, those kind of things, you know. And so Jesus comes along and says, that that's not exactly true because what really matters, he says, is what's from, what comes from the inside of you, not what's on the outside of you. And this is something that's important for us because I think that we think that that's just back then. But you know what? I think oftentimes this is how we walk around. That if I could just look the part, if I could just say the right things, if I could just not do certain things that, that people think are bad, then, you know, I'm okay with God and there's something on the inside that's not quite right. And so Jesus challenges us and he teaches more of an inside-out way to following God. The religion of that day, it was all external. And so there was a lot of people felt unaccepted by God. They felt rejected by religion, by their community. There was all these rules that they could not live up to. They didn't dress right. They didn't eat right. They didn't hang out with the right people. And therefore, they don't belong. So Jesus comes along and he turns things inside out. Instead of looking like you have it all together, he wants what he wants from you and I is authentic worship. Instead of, you know, carefully observing all these religious rituals and rules and regulations, what he really wants is intimate relationship. Instead of just being, acting more righteous than what you really are, what he's looking for, what Jesus is looking for, for his, from his followers is brokenness. Brokenness. And that's a word that we don't use very much these days, brokenness. Um, it's not something that we aspire to, Right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, I just want to be so broken today. Nobody does that. It's not something you put on your resume, like your employer reads your resume and says, I'm a broken individual. Yeah, okay, we're not hiring you. It doesn't really work in the boardroom. I mean, this is something that we don't really see. In fact, we live more in a, what's called a throwaway culture. We don't value fixing anything. We don't value repairing anything. Something gets broken, we just toss it out. I know that factually because I used to work on my cars. I can't work on my cars anymore. They're just way too complicated. And generally the way that you repair a vehicle this day is you just replace it or replace the part. You don't fix the part, you replace the part. And it's just emblematic of the culture that we live in. So Jesus comes along and kind of gives us a different lens to look at things that are broken. And I want to challenge you this morning to try to see through the eyes of Jesus, not just 
Try to see through the eyes of Jesus, not just the world out there and other people, but try to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. You see, because when Jesus sees something that is broken, what he sees is not something throwaway. What he sees is beauty. I know that may be hard for you to understand or see it or believe it, but it's true. Because usually when things are broken, we just throw them out. Broken dishes, broken bottles, broken mirrors. We just scrap those things. But God puts a premium on broken things, especially broken people. In Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at a passage that um, kind of exemplifies this. Uh, I'm not going to actually read the text. I'm going to encourage you basically go to Luke 7 and, and, and read this. Jesus is anointed by this sinful woman. But in this story, what happens is Jesus, he shows up into this town. He's, a, he's a, a rabbi. And so as a visiting rabbi, the custom was that this Pharisee in this town by the name of Simon was supposed to invite the visiting rabbi to his house for dinner. And so Simon sends probably some messenger out to him, say, hey, ask the rabbi, rabbi to, come, to come to my house. But Simon's heart is not in it. Jesus shows up and Jesus, he doesn't get the customary greeting that a, that a rabbi would get. You know, the kiss on the cheek, the honor that comes with that. He wouldn't do that. He didn't do that. Um, they sit down to have dinner and typically what was customary was that the host would offer water and a towel to wash their feet. Symbolic in many ways, but it just meant that you would sit there, your feet are in close proximity to other people. So you don't want your dirty feet near other people, so just wash your guest's feet. Simon doesn't do that. He doesn't care. Another thing that they would do is they would anoint, they would offer olive oil to anoint their head with oil, just as a sign of respect. Say, hey, we're so glad you're in my house. We're so glad you're eating at my table. We just honor you. We respect you. And so here's a little bit of olive oil to anoint your head. Simon does none of these things. Jesus comes in. He sits down. And Simon does not honor him. And then in verse 37, Luke, so Luke introduces us to Simon. And then in verse 37, Luke introduces us to another person, a woman. The only descriptor he gives of her is she's a sinner, which was code in that, in that culture for a prostitute. And so this woman comes on the scene and, you know, she immediately, you know, people are like, why is she here? This is not the place for you to be, this sinner. You know, we're, we're a, I'm a Pharisee, he's a rabbi. This is like a kind of holy ground and you are corrupting this. And she feels it. She senses the, the, the looks of disdain and disapproval on the part of these religious leaders. But something has got her attracted to Jesus. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but maybe the, the day before Jesus was going by and teaching and, and she picked up on something he said and, and she realized that she herself is broken in so many ways and she thought maybe, just maybe, Jesus can do something with all of these broken pieces of mine. I've got to be near him. I've got to be close. And so she shows up at this dinner party. Now, she would have never been invited to this party. In fact, this place would have been an unsafe place for her. They would have ridiculed her. They would have kicked her out. They would have just dismissed her completely. But there is something about being there. Like she was a throwaway, but she knows, she knows that Jesus sees her. 
So she's gonna do something here at this party many of us would consider impulsive, embarrassing, a little bit inappropriate. It's unacceptable. She walks in and she stands over Jesus. She feels the glares of the people around her. She feels it. Like they're staring at her like, who are you and why are you here? What right do you have to be here? She sees Jesus sitting at the table. And I don't know, this is, the Bible doesn't say this specifically, but I could just imagine it. She sees Jesus sitting at the table and they make eye contact. And that was all that was needed. Jesus looks at her. And even though all around her, the guys were like, yeah, what are you doing here? You, you don't, we don't want you here. She makes eye contact with Jesus. And somehow, I don't know if it was a smile or a nod or what it was, she feels welcome. She feels invited in. She feels like I belong here with him. And she's undone by it. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place. I know I have. Where my life was broken. I felt like I was at the bottom. And I mean, there wasn't counsel enough that would make me feel better. There wasn't enough verses that I could read that would, I would feel better. Just simply coming into the presence of Jesus and knowing that he said, Rich, I love you. I care about you. I want to have deep relationship with you. That was enough. And it would just cause me to just break out in tears. I imagine this is what's happening to this woman. Jesus accepts her. She knows she's accepted by him. She falls to the ground and begins to kiss his feet. Tears flowing from her cheeks. A tear drops on Jesus' feet and suddenly she starts seeing these little muddy streaks on his feet. And she realizes, wait a minute. His feet haven't been washed. How can this be? How can the... How can this savior, this, this Messiah, this, this amazing rabbi come into this Pharisee's house and, his, and be dishonored in this way? His feet aren't even washed. And so she does what she can do. She knows she can't ask them for a towel. So she lets down her hair, which just you need to know that in this culture, that was very unacceptable. It was something that was reserved for the bedroom between a husband and a wife. But she lifts down her hair, washes his feet with her tears, and then wipes his feet clean with her hair. She has a little bottle of perfume around her neck, something that she would use for her profession. A little drop here, a little drop there. But as she's kneeling there at the feet of Jesus, she pulls that bottle of perfume off, and she doesn't just casually put a drop on his feet she pours the whole thing out on him like there's something happening inside of her this act of hers represents her whole life being poured out she knows that the only hope that she has in life is held by this person that she's kissing his feet wiping his feet with her hair she just knows that the people around her see this and they think it's inappropriate. They think it's reckless. What a waste. She just poured that whole oil out. What a waste. But Jesus sees this and it's beautiful. And so in this story, Luke tells a story. And when you think about it, you would think that, you know, the way, through our lens, we would see it like kind of, kind of strange. Like maybe the, maybe the woman was inappropriate. Maybe this Pharisee was holding back. You know, he was like, he, could, he was kind of standing on right ground. But that's not what happens. Jesus turns things upside down and inside out. 
And so in the story, what you find is that Jesus rebukes Simon the Pharisee. Like he's done everything right in, in terms of his own religious behavior. He's acting the right way, but Jesus rebukes him. And then he commends this prostitute who was a broken mess. In fact, Jesus gives incredible value to this woman. In verse 48, he says, your sins are forgiven. In verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in that moment, this woman is made whole again. She's a broken mess who has been made whole again. And so I have a question for you. It's a trick question. Who would you rather be in this story? Not who, who are you, but who would you rather be in this story? Would you rather be that, you know, that well-respected Pharisee, lives in a nice house, dresses with nice clothes, has his act together, even though maybe Jesus doesn't think so? Or would you want to be this, this prostitute who's a broken mess, but she experiences the love and grace of Jesus Christ in a deep way? It's a trick question because I think most of us who have been in the faith will answer answer that question this way. I want both. I want both. I want to be well-respected. I want to be seen as a person who has their act together. I don't make mistakes. What are you talking about? I'm I'm a man of God. (laughs) That's what I want, but then I also want, I do do want to experience the, the grace and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. But you need to understand something. In the kingdom of God, it really doesn't work that way. It really is one or the other. There's no wholeness except through the door marked broken, brokenness. And so here's the good news about all of this. We are all broken. I'm going to say it again. We are all broken. I know, I know. There's some of you sitting out there, whoa, 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 Rich. Speak for yourself. Not me. Well, then you're probably more broken than all of us, but we're all broken. We all need wholeness, every one of us. And so the point of me talking about this is not to make us more broke. The point of this is for us to understand that we are broken and that we need, we need, we desperately need the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. Every single one of us. This is not just simply for the person who's never accepted Jesus. Of course they do that. Of course they need it. But every single one of us daily need an infusion of God's grace in our life, of his mercy, of his compassion, of his healing power in our life. Every single one of us do. We need it. Another Bible word used here is contriteness. It's like this recognition that we need God, that there's a lot of broken pieces in our life and they don't just all go together And so we need God to step in and mend those broken pieces. Brene Brown, in her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, she talks a little bit about the the deep-seated human need for every human being to have a person or place where they can be vulnerable, where they can open up their lives to other people around them, and it's safe for them. But she goes on to say that actually it's very, this is very challenging in our culture because we live in a culture that is not very forgiving that way. We live in a very judgmental culture, so it's not really safe. We rarely get to this place, she says. And then she has a little part in her, in her speech there. She says this. She says, we are those people. 
We are those people. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair from being those people. Those people. The ones we don't trust. The ones we pity. The ones we don't let our children play with. The ones bad things happen to. The ones we don't play, want, the ones we don't want living next door. We are those people. And I hear her say that and I echo that. We are those people. You and I were those people. Everyone in this room is broken. We are those people who ignore the hurts of others so that, or it's, at least if our needs are being met, we just kind of ignore the hurts of others. We are those people that on the way to church will yell at each other and fight and then we get out of the, out of the car, we look at the kids, smile kids, let's, let's pretend like everything's okay. We are those people. We're those people who, who think God is somehow more impressed because we have a whole list of rules, extra biblical rules of how we should live our lives. And somehow God says, wow, you're, you're, you're awesome. <laughs> we are those people who go into debt to keep up appearances. We are those people who look down on others because they're different than us, maybe their skin color, maybe their economic status. We are those people <clears throat> who work 50 plus hours a week trying to prove our worth. We are those people who take the easy way out and log on to a porn site we are those people who spend hours on social media trying to convince other people that we're actually better than what we really are. That's who we are. We are those people. We are broken. And here's what happens when we're broken is that we tend to hide it. My wife is sitting in here, so I'm, I'm confessing this now at risk that she's gonna, she, she probably already knows. But I don't know if you know this, but I'm like a speed dishwasher. Like when I wash dishes at home, I do it fast. I don't want to be too long standing at the dish, washing dishes. So I wash very fast and of, not very often, but on occasion, a dish may get broken. And on occasion, a very important relic of ours that shouldn't even be out <laughs> gets broken too. And I'm like, when that happens, man, you, you should, uh, the tension inside of me just rises. And I'm like, where's the super glue? And I pull those pieces together and I'm like gluing, you know, packing it all nice and tight, make sure I've got vice grips and everything, holding it all down, you know. Then I put it way back at the top, you know, the covers way back in the back, you know, back over there. She's short, she can't really reach up there. So, you know, that's, that's what we do. We hide it. That's what we do. And that's why we're the most medicated, the most in debt, the most addicted culture in all of history. Because we spend our lives hiding the brokenness of our lives. And so we're all broken. broken. And what we need to do, what we need more than anything else is brokenness. To recognize that the, the reality of our condition that we need God in our life. There's this beautiful picture found in, in, in Isaiah 53 about this. It says, <clears throat> but he, talking about Jesus, was wounded for the wrong we did. 
He was wounded for the wrong we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed because of his wounds. And the word wounded here, and the word wounds wounded, is this idea of black and blue bruises as a result of like broken blood vessels under your skin. It's a bruise, basically. And so Jesus was bruised so that then the word healed here is so we could be mended, made whole again. So essentially what Isaiah is trying to tell us is that Jesus has been bruised, he's been broken, so that you and I can be made whole again. Like this is the pathway, there's a connection between brokenness and wholeness. This is the pathway in which all of us walk, every single one of us. And so if you are here this morning and you say, I want to be whole, and you raise your hand, I want to be whole, I want to be complete, I want to be healed, there's a pathway for that. And it starts with brokenness. Jeremiah talks about this a little bit in Jeremiah 18. He says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And so the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. He says, go at once to the potter's house, and there I will reveal my words to you. So then Jeremiah heads on over there. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was, work, that he, <clears throat> that he was making from the clay became flawed in, his, in the potter's hands. So he made it into another jar, as seemed right for him to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. So God, again, steps in. He shows him this image, and then God steps in. This is what he says. House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay. As I was preparing this message, I just had this sense inside of me that there are many of you that your jar hasn't turned out the way you expected. Like you had plans, you had designs, you had ideas of what it was gonna look like, what your future would look like, but it just, it just broke to pieces. And now all you're left with is just, you know, a bunch of pieces from an ugly divorce or from a failed career or from some kind of addiction that you're just trying to break. You're trying so hard to break, but it's just not happening. And all you have now is just these broken pieces. You can hide the pieces. You can try to pretend like you got it all together. Like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. I'm mature, I've overcome this. Or you could take those pieces and hand them over to the potter and humility say, will you do something with this? And if I know my God and I know his compassion and I know his heart for people, this is what he does. He takes those pieces, he says, I think I could do something beautiful with this. Some of you in this room are testimony to that. I know your story. You're a beautiful testimony of how God has taken broken pieces and he's made something beautiful out of that. There's this old Japanese ceramic restoration process called kintsugi. I've got some images here. Basically what they do is they take like a valuable, this is like a valuable bowl, for example, that has been broken and they piece it back together and instead of hiding the... Uh, the, the cracks in the bowl, they accentuate the cracks and they accentuate them with gold. Like this is, you know, like it's obvious. Like when you see, let's go to the next picture. When, picture, when you see that, it's obvious. This has been broken and it's been repaired 
and they've just like been like a little bit reckless about what it, how, they, how it was repaired. They just kind of let it be like it is and put some gold in between the cracks and that's it. But here's what this does. That bowl, this bowl right here, before it was broken, was worth a lot. Now that it's been fixed like this, it's worth even more. And this is exactly what God does with you and me. He takes our lives, the things that we're trying to hide, the cracks that we don't want anybody to see, he takes us and says, just give them to me. Let me take them. And I will remake and I will move you from brokenness to wholeness and make, make you much more valuable than you ever thought you ever, ever were. You were given this uh, little um, glow stick. I was like racking my brain. Like I was planning on breaking a piece of pottery and mending it up here. And I'm like, this is going to take way too long. And I'm not going to do a very good job. It's all going to fall apart in front of me, you know. So I was racking my brain. What, what, is useful that when, what is useful when it's broken? And this idea came to me about these glow sticks. And I had a little late late, it kind of was a late idea, so we had to order in a hurry, you know, and bring it all in, but, uh, but you got this glow stick, and, and you know how this glow, glow, glow stick works, it's just a glow stick, doesn't do anything, but when you break it, it starts shining some light, and it occurred to me that when we, those people who are broken who have all kinds of cracks and all kinds of flaws and all kinds of whatever, when we, those people, allow the healing process of Jesus to work in our life, to make us whole again, where we surrender our broken pieces to him, we actually, one of the metaphors I used was we become more valuable. Another metaphor I want to use is that as those people, a community of people that have been broken and made whole again, we shine light into a world that's dark. And so what we're going to do, we're going to all take a moment here. We're all going to stand right now. I'm going to ask you to stand in our campuses. You've got your glow stick as well. Let's all stand. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to take just a moment. And here's what I want you to do in your mind as you're, as you're thinking, as you're praying through this. Identify the area of your life that you know. And I don't have to convince you. I have to tell you what it is. You know what it is. The area of your life that is broken and that needs the healing touch of the master in your life. Just identify that. Think about what it is. What's the area that needs that brokenness of your life that needs to be made whole again? And once you come to terms with that, this is what I want you to do. Take this glow stick and break it. And you can do that right now if you want. I love the sound of that. And raise it up in the air. Now just look around. Hallelujah. This is what God does in this world that's dark, in this world that's broken, in this world that's hurt. His light shines like never before when you allow yourself to go through this process of being made whole through the master. That's what he wants to do in your life right now. Amen. And so if you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage, we want to pray for you. If you're in our campus, you need to do that. We want to pray for you as well. But if you're here today and you need your life to be made whole again, cast your pieces to the master. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. We thank you, Father, for the light that is shining in this dark world. 
We pray, God, that you would use us, this community of faith. We're imperfect. God, we don't have everything. To, we don't have our act together. We don't, you know, we, we have technology on us. But Father, we have all kinds of flaws. But Lord, we just surrender all that to you. And we submit ourselves as broken people, just desirous for you to make us whole again. And Jesus, I know that you can use our broken lives to change this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.